Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Clear Eyes, Full Hearts, a podcast presentation of Cadence 13 in association with Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. This is an episode-by-episode look at the award-winning TV show Friday Night Lights created by Peter Berg. I'm Stacey Orstano. I played Mindy Collette Riggins. And I'm Derek Phillips, and I played Billy Riggins. The assumption is, as always, that you guys have already watched the show. But if you haven't already, go watch Friday Night Lights, which is currently streaming on Netflix and Peacock TV, because there will be spoilers in our podcast. Maybe you're in need of some merch. We've got merchandise. We've got a website designed by Eleanor Carez, who is at Eleanor Carez on Instagram. Our website is www.cleareyesfullheartspod.com. Once again, that's cleareyesfullheartspod.com. And we're still going to answer your fan questions. So email us what you want to know at cleareyesfullheartspod at gmail.com today. Season three, episode four, Hello, Goodbye. It was written by David Hudgens and directed by Michael Waxman. The synopsis from NBC reads, Smash makes an emotional goodbye to Dylan after receiving a scholarship and Tyra is wooed away from Landry by bad boy rodeo star Cash. That gives away the entire show. (laughs) We have a ton to cover in this episode, but first we're going to answer a few fan questions. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So our first fan question comes from Melissa Mack in Tamworth, Australia, who writes, in terms of fathers on the show, there were some pretty terrible ones. Who do you think was the worst? Walt Riggins, Ornette Howard, or Joe McCoy? They were each bad in their own way, but the actors were brilliant. That's a tough one. It's a great question, though. I'm almost going to have to say that maybe Walt Riggins was the worst. He's real bad. Just because of the fact that, like, the other ones may be terrible, but in a weird way, they cared about their kids. Yeah, he full-on stole from the school. We're going to find out later that, like, Joe McCoy beats the crap out of J.D. McCoy. Oh, see, I don't know that yet. He's abusive. He's mean. He doesn't, like, let the kid live his life in any way, Mm -hmm. shape, or form. But at the same time, like, at least he's there. Same thing with Ornette, Vince's father from season four and five. Cress? Yeah, Cress Williams. I mean, they're all bad dudes. Walt Riggins, I mean, Walt's last line is, I'm going to walk away, see how easy this is. And he's just gone forever, like out of everyone's life. Doesn't care about his kid enough to even stick around. Yeah, I think it's between Walt and what you're telling me about Joe. So maybe after this season, I'll have a different answer. Oh, Joe McCoy is a scumbag. I don't know. Like he's bad. You've seen some elements of it, but trust me, 
Ooh, he's oh he's the bad dude. I don't know if that answers your question. For now, we're saying Walt. <laughs> I'm saying Walt's the worst, personally. But, you know, okay, I have my now, own personal Walt. scars from Walt Riggins. I mean, I made up my own storyline about my own dad, but he's not that bad. Funny story, though. I don't know if I told this on the show yet, but I actually got to work with Brett Cullen years later when we were doing the movie 42. We were shooting a baseball scene, and I walked out onto the field, and Brett was on the field. And I go, hey, Dad. You want to play a little catch? <laughs> and so I would throw him a glove and the two of us got to throw the ball around. So it was like this reunion. Oh, of... you had your field of dreams moment? Yes. Very sweet. And I actually got along great with Brett Cullen, but Walt Riggins is a schmuck. Yeah. It's a testament to how good all those guys are. Yeah, they're all are. great actors. Jesus. And they're all great guys in real life. They're yeah, all true. really nice, good people. Next question comes from Lisa, who asks, does a good agent guarantee exposure slash auditions? Can you be a good actor, but bad at auditions? Whew, and how do you deal with rejection? This one is deep. Yes. I mean, I would say that a good agent or a great agent should be getting you in the room. They should be getting you through some doors. They ought to be able to get you in contact with people. The whole entire point of an agent is that they're a middleman for you between casting directors and directors. And so a good agent should be able to get you through doors. A good agent should, should. be able to sometimes. But yeah, it definitely helps. And look, you could be a good agent who's not working hard for a particular client. But by that same rationale, if your agent is good for you, they should be getting you through doors. Can you be a good actor in bad at auditions? God, yes. Yes. Holy yes. Uh, and I, without naming names, know quite a few. And there have been some occasions myself where I've been, in my opinion, a good actor who had a really bad audition or had a bad day in a room. I have blown some auditions. Like in the middle of it, while I'm still doing the audition, I know that we're all agreeing that I'm terrible, but like I try to finish. Yeah. And then it's like you leave the room and you're like, I'm sorry, I just wasted your time. I don't know that this was like a bad actor. I mean, it's bad on my part. I had to go to the bathroom before an audition one time. Oh, God. And I went in there. I took a pee. I get back into the waiting room. They call me in. I go in. The character is supposed to be like this intimidating, like mafioso type. He's beating sure. the crap out of a guy. He's supposed to be intimidating. And midway through the scene, I kind of look down. And when I look down, I notice my fly's been open this whole entire time. And it just <laughs> threw me. At that point, it's like, I'm not intimidating. My fly's down. Was I a good actor in having a bad audition that day? Yes. You guys, Glenn Morshower, who plays Landry's father on the show does like auditioning workshops. And his one main thing is you need to have an actor's secret. When you go into an audition room, you know something about yourself and that character that the other people in the room don't know. And Derek, I'm thinking maybe that was your actor's secret. That's his thing. He's, he's the no-fly beater person. Here's how much I don't give a crap. Yeah, here's how much I, I don't care. I'm going to beat you within an inch of your life with my fly down. Maybe he's afraid of zippers. I am afraid of zippers. I had a horrifying experience when I was 12. I'll just say that my friend's mom had to unzip me. Oh, God. At a pool party. Oh, God. It was a terrible experience. Oh, God, that's horrifying. How do you deal with rejection is the last question. Let me tell you something real fast. It's gotten a whole lot easier because as you get rejected more, slides off your back. In my early 20s, I was a mess if I didn't book everything. And now I do an audition and I forget about it. And if I book the job, right? Yeah. And here's a wonderful thing about rejection is that they never call you and say, hey, here's why you didn't get the job. And this is, I mean, your agent may tell you that, your manager may tell well, you that. Well, your agent will tell you they went a different direction. Yeah. They really don't call you on the phone and go, hey, here's the deal. You're too fat. You're too skinny. You're too short. You're too tall. You're too ugly. You have too much hair. You have too little hair. They never call you and say that. So you're not really dealing with rejection. I mean, you are, but like, it's the rejection of, oh, I went on a date with this person and 
they never called me again. If you get a part and it's like a story you love and then you put yourself in the zone of like, I'm going to be in Vancouver for six months working on this show that I love. And then, you know, book it. Like maybe that just happened to me two days ago. Like whatever, it's fine. Oh, and I know which one you're talking about. So <laughs> yes, here's awesome. the deal, guys. I got a great piece of advice from an actor friend of mine years ago. And they said, the minute you're done with an audition, take the sides and the sides are the script that they give you. Mm-hmm. Take it and throw it in the nearest trash can. Because what you don't want to have happen is a month later, you're opening an old backpack or you're cleaning out your car. You find those sides and you go, oh, what happened with that audition? Then you start dwelling on the past and then you go look up and see who got it. And then you get Mm -hmm. pissed off at the guy who got the job. Like none of that is productive. None of that helps you. Because then it's a surprise all of a sudden when you're like, oh, wait, really? I've gotten so good at forgetting about them that there will be times that like a week later, my manager or my agent will call me and be like, hey, uh, so you've got a hold on you for such and such. And I'm like, which one is that again? I just don't have that many auditions to forget. (laughs) I hear you. Okay, so our last question comes from Natty, who has an adorable six-year-old black lab named Riggins. (laughs) Look at that. Natty wants to know, do actors give their characters middle names or do the writers include that in the characters' backgrounds? Ooh, half and half. Sometimes it's there. Did you give Mindy a middle name? No, but after reading this question, I think my middle name is the same as our son. And I'm Mindy Hannibal Hannibal Regan. (laughs) I mean, I think a lot of times the writers come up with those middle names, especially if it's a middle name that the audience is going to learn about at some point in time, because there could be a lot of information in that middle name. I think it says a lot about, for instance, Stevie Hannibal Riggins. Mm -hmm. It says a lot about his parents that they would name him. Hannibal. His middle we name asked would be for Hannibal. a reasoning for that. And the reason was we thought it was funny. <laughs> yeah. What kind of idiots after Silence of the Lambs? Maybe it's your mom's maiden name. But in general, as an actor, and I know that everyone's approach is different. For me personally, as an actor, I can't act a middle name. So <laughs> it doesn't. And I'm not being rude by saying that. But like, I only try to find the things that I can literally act that. Derek, what if in your rejection they called and they were like, yeah, so here's the thing. We could totally tell you didn't have a middle name. So <laughs> that, that might be part of the problem. You did not book the job. But there is a woman named Uta Hagen who was a famous acting teacher. Uta and Uta Hagen would say that any prop that you touch, you need to have a story behind. The story may be that I'm in somebody else's space and they handed me a pen and this is the first time I've ever touched that pen. But you need to know that going into it. For instance, I'm sitting here right now. I've got a letter opener because I'm on my desk. It's just sitting in my house. It doesn't mean anything to anyone else. But there is a whole story behind this letter opener to me. My grandfather made this out of a piece of walnut on his property. Oh my God, you guys, it's beautiful. And my grandfather passed away two years ago. So this letter opener to me, anytime I open a letter with it, anytime, mm-hmm. and there's a pen that came with that set that he made. And anytime I use that pen, it reminds me of my grandfather. So I do think that stuff like that, like making specifics for yourself when you're on set, especially if it's in your own house, if I'm using an ashtray, where did I get this ashtray? Those kind of things can be beneficial, I think. Before I start, it's easier with a play than with a TV show, but there are things I do with a whole book of background and it's like that person's color palette and thoughts. And I write down everything that any other character says about me and anything that I say about myself to like get me to the place where I'm supposed to be. That's my stupid process. It's not stupid. And I think the reason Stacey's saying that it's easier with a play is that with a play, you have a beginning, a middle and an end. With the TV show, we don't know. I mean, I didn't know I was going to wind up marrying Mindy. No, like in my first episode, nobody says anything about me. So I had to figure out who I was. You try to make it as specific as possible without making it so specific that you pigeonhole yourself into a corner where you can't get out of it now. Philip Seymour Hoffman used to say, be very careful saying that my character would never do something or that the character I'm playing would never because you're automatically putting yourself in a corner 
be yeah. more open to the idea that my character might do this. My character would do this. Oh, I like that. Uh, he always used to say that if you sat on a New York subway train and watched the people that came on there, and if you saw that in a live play, you would say, oh, that's not real. Because there's some characters in real life. There are people out there that are just up there and cuckoo and embrace that. In an hour, I'm heading into Manhattan and I will see them all. I do just say really fast about middle names. Mm -hmm. You know how when you're filling out like security questions and one of the questions is what's your father's middle name? Yeah. My father and both of his brothers don't have middle names. And so it's like my favorite question because I'm like, uh, there's literally no answer. Yeah. Thanks, computer. Maybe we should talk about the show now. Stacey, are you ready to move into the rewatch portion of the show? Yes, I am. Okay, let's do it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are at the rodeo. I had forgotten about this whole storyline. And I remember <laughs> the day that we shot the rodeo, Derek was very much trying to convince the director, Michael Laxman, that I should sing the national anthem. Even if we didn't use it like for the actual show, I was like, get Stacy out there to sing the national anthem because they did have a moment where they were singing the national anthem. I said, I'll do it if Taylor gets up and sings O Canada after me. <laughs> he said no. Funny story about Kitsch in this episode and all you Taylor Kitsch fans are just going to love him so much more after this. Yay. But Stacy, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a scene while we were shooting this. They were just doing all kinds of coverage of like stuff that would happen at a rodeo, basically. And they had a bunch of little kids out there. And yeah. they were chasing after like a piglet or something like they were like five-year-old kids. I used to do that at the rodeo. And so the kids were chasing after the pig and they shot this little scene where the kids chase the pig down and they catch the pig. They took a shot of one of the kids winning the trophy after he'd caught the pig. And then they go cut and then props walked over and grabbed the trophy back from the kid. <gasps> it's film. You got to repeat I it. And know. it's not his trophy technically. You know what I mean? It's production's trophy. And the kid, he's five years old. He didn't understand what was going on in his mind. He chased the pig. That was the contest. He won. He got the trophy. Kitch saw this happen and he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. And he goes down and he goes, no, 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 no. You got to give him the trophy. And they're like, Taylor, like, we can't just give it to him. It's production. Taylor goes, I don't care. He goes, I'll pay for the damn trophy. The kid gets the trophy. Aww. And so they gave the kid the trophy. He was crying. And it was a really lovely moment. And so all the Taylor Kitsch fans out there right now are going to go, oh my God, I knew he was amazing in real life too. And he is, he's a good dude. So there you go. Yes, that's very sweet. I love a cowboy hat tip. But just take the rim and give like a little, a little head nod. There's something so gentlemanly about it. I'm starting to think you guys, you and Palicki in particular, are big fans of the cowboy thing because you both expressed feelings towards Billy Riggins in a cowboy. No, thing? not yes. feelings. feelings. I don't Unco know. Something. It was uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable for me. I mean, the way that their <laughs> mouths were agape the whole entire time I was walking around with that cowboy hat on. I do. I love a guy in a cowboy hat and cowboy boots. I mean, I'm from Texas. So like, what are you going to do? So the cowboy that, that she was speaking of is a gentleman named Zach Rorig, who plays Cash Waller. He's our newest guest star mm -hmm. on the show. He's a hot young rodeo buck. Did, <laughs> did you guys go to high school together? 
That's the idea. Yeah. I think that Billy was probably a senior when he was a freshman or okay. something like that. It's just, I get confused because then he would have been in my class. Yeah. I don't know what the backstory is 100% with you guys, but yes, Billy and Cash played baseball together. And shouldn't surprise anybody. You and I are in my house and we're dancing. This is true. You know what I'm going to say though, Stacy? Oh no, wait, this is what, this isn't in the house. This is when we're at. Broken oh no, Spoke. this is when we're at the Broken Spoke. Yeah. I'm going to tell you, I haven't watched this scene in a long time and I look like I know what I'm doing. I look like I'm a damn good dancer here. We took lessons, you we guys. Michael lessons. Waxman took me and Derek and Taylor, Taylor Kitchen, Amy Palicki. And I think Zach was with us too. Oh, and Zach, yeah. yeah. We went to the Broken Spoke and we had a teacher and they taught us to step in. Around. It was such a fun day. It was. We had a great time. And then I can't remember if it was before the episode aired or after we shot the episode, but I know we went back to the Broken Spoke one night on like a regular night because we were in there when it was like afternoon, place was empty, and we just had a private two-step lesson. But I remember we went back there like after that and you and Palicki were literally getting hit on. These guys were very gentlemanly, but they'd walk over and say, mm -hmm. excuse me, sir, do you mind if I ask her for a dance? <laughs> Go ahead. I'm not with her. You're like, please. <laughs> I mean, Taylor and I were sitting there in the broken spoke. And I mean, there was a line of guys out the door trying to get two-step dances with Stacy and Annie that night. It was really funny to watch, but it was also somewhat emasculating because Taylor and I can't dance. And we were just watching I these guys. Do you remember when we were filming this scene, you and I were so aware of where the camera was and so, you know, you like dance around in a circle. And so yeah. anytime we were in front of the camera, you would spin, 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 and then yeah. we'd go back. So that's why we look really good. I'm not very good at a two-step, but like I can kind of do like the pretzeling thing or at least pretend like I know what I'm doing. Yeah, you're really good at the spin pretzel. So anytime we were in front of the camera, we did that and it made us look like we were really good dancers. <laughs> Meanwhile, I wanted to talk about this scene where Grandma Saris and Matt has just made her breakfast or whatever. It's just a real simple, quick scene. And he makes her breakfast. He's like, I'll see you later. With her medicines. With her medicine. And as he's walking out the door, she just immediately dumps the oatmeal straight into the trash can. And it just cracks me up. It's just so well played. She's like, not gonna eat that. I gotta tell you, I actually don't think it was a trash can. To me, it looked like a, a thing that you would hold your magazines in. I think oh. she put it into something that wasn't even a trash can, which made me giggle. Oh, even better. I love it. But I love Luann. I just wanted to say that. That's all. Just a little quick shout out to Luann. She always cracks me up. She's great. She's so good. I got to tell you, I would not want to go up against Buddy Garrity because I know that he does not play fair and I don't think he has many boundaries. No, he doesn't. So we're we're talking right now about the uh, Jumbotron argument that Buddy and Tammy are having over the uh, Jumbotron. And of course, Buddy plays golf with the superintendent of the school, of a guy named Paul Dunley. So I just don't see a lot of hope for Tammy winning this battle. No, there's no way. I had my wisdom teeth taken out all four of them, like probably nine or 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And our friend Lily was my nurse. I was an absolute wreck for two weeks. The day that I got home, I had like a bowl and I would just spit blood into it. Sorry, guys. Oof. That's what happened. But then I looked like quagmire for two weeks. My jaws were swollen in the shape of a square. And we actually had a New Year's Eve party at Annie's house. And I was still on antibiotics and I wasn't allowed to drink. And you guys were all having fun. And I was like still sitting there with my swollen jaw. Like it sucked. I don't remember that, but it's really hard to remember all of your ailments and where they fell in the timeline. True, 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 true. I do remember the New Year's Eve party at Annie's house. I definitely yeah. remember that. I know that we've talked about this, speaking of the wisdom teeth thing, I know that we've talked about there being a lack of humor and lightness in season two. And while Jesse was great at all the dramatic stuff, I love when Landry 
is used for levity on this show. I mean, the way he's playing this whole entire scene, it reminds me, as you were talking about your wisdom teeth, it reminds me of when I had hernia surgery about eight months ago. And it reminds me of my hernia surgery. They gave me some painkillers and I was just a chatty Kathy for like the next nine hours. Yeah, it makes you really talky. But I also wanted to give a shout out to Carol Farabee, who plays Landry's mom in this scene. It's a very simple, quick scene, but she does just a really wonderful job of like, okay, now give me that phone. Yeah, It's a great little moment. And just a shout out to another wonderful casting job done by Linda Lowy and Beth Sepko on this show. They always find these actors, even in these small parts, it just rings true. There's been a couple of awkward car rides, but I think this might be the most awkward car ride we've had so far on Friday Night Lights with Matt and his mom. Yes. But I feel like she's actually trying. She is. As I said, it's been a while since I watched the show, so I'm trying to remember exactly what all the backstory is with these two. And I don't know that we ever get full backstory. Oh, I have questions. Yeah, so do I. I can tell you this much, though. You can tell when they get back to the Saracen house that Grandma Saracen is not a big fan. But I'm interested to revisit this storyline. And it's just another wonderful opportunity, as we've talked before, about getting to see Kim Dickens work. She's great. Oh, I love her. We are back at the Colette house. Derek, would you like to go ahead and tell the story of the crawfish on this day? I think we may have touched on this in a previous episode. So Stacy and I had to shoot this scene. I mean, the crawfish was out of season to begin with. If you look at the crawfish closely, they're teeny, tiny, tiny, tiny. And they were very, very spicy. I like spicy. You know what I mean? But this was pretty hot. So we're doing this scene where I got to suck the head. And I had been in a cowboy hat earlier in that episode. So Stacy was really. Oh my me. God, shut up. Also, you had that face. It's the facial hair that was. I had sexy facial problem. hair and a cowboy hat. Problems for Stacy. God. I don't even think this was on camera. I think it was you just trying to kiss me off camera. I don't know what was going on. What was going so on? Over this. I'm so sorry that I asked you to tell this story <laughs> because all Mindy and Billy do is suck face and make this out. This is true. Yes. We were sucking face and making out while he was eating this crawfish and it was yes. stuck in his beard. And then all of a sudden makeup comes over to me and they're like, what is wrong with your face? And I was like, oh no, it's really hot. And it gave me a mirror and like the whole bottom half of my face was blood red because I was allergic to the spices that were on the crawfish and my skin like got very angry. Stacy, would you say that I was too hot for you that day? No, I would say the crawfish was too hot that day. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> Stacy had like this rash on her face. What did they wind up doing? Did they give you like an ice pack or something? I can't remember. I had ice. They kept putting concealer on it. But what happened yeah. after that is Connie saw me and she goes, I have something for you. And like Mary Poppins, she reaches into her bag and pulls out this jar of stuff that she gave me. And then two days it was gone. She saved me. But guys, remember, we've talked about the fact that Stacy, I mean, this is a woman who slipped a disc getting out of a car. Yeah. And I'm allergic to everything. Allergic to everything. I mean, gluten allergies, like all kinds of stuff. It's always a joy going to dinner with Stacy. I never make it a deal. You never make it a deal. Every place has a salad, whatever. I just don't eat the, ta- the food at the table. If anything, like I feel bad because it's like we go to some <laughs> great place and I'm like, oh crap, I didn't think about the fact that Stacy's going to have to order a boring salad. But you no. never complain about it. Poor Stacy in that scene. I felt bad. Props felt bad. Everybody felt it bad. Burned so bad. Yeah. And then we still had more to shoot coming up. Is that something? I mean, obviously, if you eat spicy food, you're not rubbing it all over your face, but yeah, like, it's just dermal because I can eat it and it's fine. But if it's on my face, everything makes huh. my face break out. Though. Interesting. Interesting. It's just on my skin. So I'm not going to rub like what, what was it? Old Bay or whatever. Like I'm not going to rub it on my face. 
What up? Paprika, I guess. I'm not going to rub it on my face. It's gross. Hi, Landry is very quickly becoming my favorite Landry. You said before about the levity, but this scene in particular, I could have watched an entire three-hour movie of just him in that chair. It was great. And I love the way that Michael Waxman, the director of this episode, chose to shoot this scene. It's a tight two shot of Saracen and Gaius smash at the computer. And we don't know where they are. You know what I mean? So all we see is the two of them looking up this guy online. And then we pull out mm-hmm. and there we see Landry with their two ice packs on his face. And it just cracked me up that reveal that they're in Landry's house as he's waiting for his sexy date with Tyra. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good stuff. Well done, Michael Waxman. Well done, Landry. Well done, everybody. Well done us. We weren't there. <laughs> However, we cut back to the Colette house. And I remember this was after and still while my face was burning. And guess what? We're dancing again, dancing in my living room. If I'm not mistaken, Billy's wearing a shirt that says, kiss me, I'm Irish. It is. I have a picture of it actually on my phone. Also, we're the worst. Like Billy and Mindy are kind of gross. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I think that probably was scripted that the two of us just start making out with each other on the couch. Like, yeah, right to make them, next to make to Cash and, and Tyra uncomfortable. It's so inappropriate. It's, it is. It's gross. It's like, come on, man. Find a room. Man, but we do it well. Yeah. I mean, I didn't think it was gross making out with you, Stacey. I'm saying it's gross <gasps> no, that no, we're no, doing totally. it with the two of them right there. And I didn't like, think about it at the time. I was like, oh, I'm making out with my fiance. But now looking, I'm like, oh, God, I would hate us if I was next to us. Oh. Gross. It's the wonderful tightrope that you walk as an actor sometimes of like trying to find reasons why you don't hate your character. Because sometimes mm-hmm. with Billy, I'm like, this guy is such an idiot. Such I never sh- thought that in the moment. I never thought you were an idiot. And I sort of knew I was like kind of gross, but like still <laughs> lovable. I don't know. But now, yeah, we're the worst. Okay. I have to say, I love Tammy having a girl buddy. I'm not sure that we've seen her have a girlfriend. No. Until now. And now she's with Mrs. McCoy. And I like it, but I'm still on edge about like, well, does she have ulterior motives like her husband? Or maybe she doesn't. Maybe she's good. I don't think she does, but I can't remember. You know what I like about this scene? And it's a really simple thing. I love getting to see a little bit of the neighborhood while they're walking. It's so freaking Texas with all those limestone houses and the tree-lined street. Once again, something you're not going to be able to shoot in a place like Los Angeles. It's not going to feel like Texas. Even simple things like there's sweat in the small of Tammy's back in that scene because it's that hot outside. There's not somebody walking up with a spray bottle spraying their back to make it look like they're sweating. You're just sweating because it's hot as hell in Texas. And I love their arms up like mall walking. Yes. They were walking with purpose. (laughs) Tammy's getting out her buddy frustration. (laughs) Landry and Tyra have a very quick scene by a locker where Tyra says, I have to read the entire book of Julius Caesar, which made me cringe. And then in maybe the most throwaway of a line I've ever heard, Landry goes, technically a play. And then she walks away and he's so good. It's great. I knew you would catch that too as an actor. It's like the the book of Julius Caesar. Also, (laughs) it's going to take you more than like an hour to read that. But yeah, one thing I didn't like about this scene, though, is the fact that Tyra just boldface lied to Landry and made up some excuse about her aunt being sick or something like that. Not cool, Tyra. It's not cool. I don't think it's going to end well. A molder of men is what Tammy calls a coach. Hmm. A molder of men in this like quiet bedroom pep talk speech to her perfect husband. They really 
are, I get it now, one of the greatest TV couples ever. They really are. This is a great scene. It's actually not in the bedroom. I mean, but it feels like one of their bedroom scenes. Oh, it's sorry. Where were we? They were at a bar. Remember, Coach pulls over. Oh, and that was she, at the bar. And he says, I need a drink. And she's like, we've got wine at home. He's like, oh, yeah, I need a like, scotch-flavored drink. Oh, yeah, whiskey-flavored drink. Yeah, whiskey. I can't remember what he says. But yeah, it's just a great scene. It's really interesting because one of the first things you learn as an actor is that pretty much any scene that you're involved in, there has to be some kind of conflict. If there's not conflict then we don't care as an audience. And it's really fun to watch this scene in some respects. Even in a comedy, there's got to be conflict, guys. In this scene, I mean, the conflict is obviously Coach's decision, what he's going to do. But really watching these two work together every time that they're on screen, even in a scene like this where they're not fighting. But even in the scenes where they are fighting, the chemistry is always palpable. Yeah, everything comes from a place of love. Speaking of not love, this scene with J.D. McCoy and Coach Taylor Coach goes to JD and he basically starts kind of asking him some questions like, do you know the offense? Do you know this? If I call this play out, blah, 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 blah. And he says, you do realize you're a little undersized. You need to put a little meat on your bones. You know, he needs to eat chicken fried steak. Eat a chicken fried steak. And JD <laughs> says, well, I'm not allowed to eat chicken fried steak. I'm not allowed yeah. to have fried food. I know that this is just kind of a simple throwaway thing, but this scene really paints a picture of who JD is. The kid doesn't have a social life. He doesn't really have any opportunity to hang out with friends or play. And he's very loosely based on an actual quarterback named Todd Marinovich, who was a stud quarterback in California, who his dad was like this overbearing guy, made him sleep, eat, and literally shit football. He had a strict diet, no offseason really. His nickname was the test tube QB because he was literally groomed from infancy to become a top-notch quarterback. <laughs> I mean, crazy stuff. Like his father, Marv Marinovich, stretching his son's hamstrings at one month old, <gasps> teething on frozen kidney, picking up medicine balls before he could walk. Oh, God. And Todd had never eaten a Big Mac or an Oreo or a Ding Dong. And so when JD says, I'm not allowed to eat fried food, it reminds me, of course, of Marv Marinovich, who any football fan would know who these two are. And everything on the outside went according to plan for Todd Marinovich. He was a superstar high school quarterback. He was a starting quarterback at USC. He was drafted in the first round by the Raiders. But underneath it all, the kid was falling apart. And he'd already developed a fairly significant drug problem by the time he'd arrived at USC. And it was something that would eventually lead to his downfall. But I mean, it's this overprotective stage mom kind of presence. And as I said, I mean, I think that JD and Joe McCoy are very loosely based on this. I remember when they had that party too. And I think it was, I don't know, Matt and Smash yeah. maybe that went up into this like trophy, trophy room, room. Yeah. dedicated to this kid. And I'm like, God, that's aggressive. Yeah. I get it now. And so while we all love Matt Saris, and there's also a part of me, and I think it, for most audience, there's a part of us we're rooting for Matt Saracen. But by that same token, you're looking at this kid, J.D., going, this poor kid, man, he's 15 years old. He has no social life. He has no nothing. His whole entire life is football and being the best and this overbearing dad. And we're going to see later that it's a lot worse than what we think it is. It takes me a little while to not look at him and see Peter Pan too, but I'm getting better. <laughs> Meanwhile, let's talk about this scene with Tammy in the diner with Superintendent Delaney. This is, once again, just another very simple cut and dry scene, but it's also very naturally acted by David Bourne, who plays Paul Delaney. I wanted to just give a shout out both to David, who will pop back up in the future, and also our casting directors, once again, Linda Lowy and Beth Sepko, for doing such a fantastic job of finding all these great, naturalistic, real actors that, I mean, guys, it's the kind of thing where if you're not noticing it, it's great. But if it's bad, you notice it and it can take you right out of a show. I mean, yeah. one bad performance, one off actor, and you're like, yeah, 
you get two or three of those in a show and all of a sudden it's a show you don't like anymore. I won't say what show, but there is a new show that I started watching with our friends, Dan and Lily. And halfway through, we all were like, I, I can't, I can't. Some of the yeah. people were so bad. Yeah. And it will take you right out of a show, guys. You know, that's what's the term of one bad apple spoils the bunch or whatever. Yep. I know it's simple stuff. It's a simple scene. There's not a lot there, but it's just. He does hightail it out of there pretty quickly when she wants to yeah. talk, though. And doesn't he just feel like a Texas dude? Oh, he said something misogynistic to her, and I'm like, yep, that checks out as well. That makes sense. I have to say, I know my sister can be stubborn and she doesn't make the best choices, but they did break up. I know we don't know why, but they are broken up. I hear you. They did, but she screwed up. Number one, she lied to him. She didn't have to lie to him. And number two, look, she wanted the comfort of having him around, but she didn't want him. And unfortunately, that's going to blow up in your face at some point in time. It sucks. Yeah, look, I'm not hating on Tyra. I just, I think we've all made that mistake in relationships. Hey, let's be friends. I mm-hmm. think that's a noble thing. I think it's a wonderful thing, but I think that that can only happen after a certain amount of time apart. Yeah, because someone still has feelings yes. after a breakup. Yes. Oof. But I mean, I was naive enough with 18 or 19 after my first big relationship ended to think, okay, well, we can go immediately from lovers to friends and thinking, oh, well, I could just tell you about this new person I'm dating. And that blew up in my face. You say 18. I still do that. I don't know why I said lovers. I don't think I've ever used the word lovers before. I wasn't going to say anything, but it super ooped me out. You did a face when you said it too. Yeah. Yeah, Don't do that again. We went from being in a relationship to being friends and... And it didn't work. It didn't work. It was too quick. Now we're great. 30 years later, oh my gosh, I'm so old. Oh my God. Okay, moving on. Okay, we talked about this before. So now we know that Shelby, Kim Dickens, Shelby left Matt 10 years ago and I am dying to know more. What has to get so bad that you literally leave your son and don't yeah. see or talk to him for 10 years? She explains a little bit of it in this scene in the sense that she was 17 years old. When it happened, she'd only known Matt's father for a couple of months. She wasn't ready to be a mother, blah, 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 blah. Look, we've met Henry, Matt's father. We were talking earlier in this episode about the worst fathers in Dylan. I don't know that he's up there with the worst fathers in Dylan, but he's getting some kind of consolation prize. I'd take Buddy Garrity over Henry Saracen. Absolutely. But yeah, I mean, Henry Saracen doesn't seem like the easiest man to live with. No, especially when Grandma Saracen says it about her own son. You're like, oh, it has to be true then. Yeah, and she does say that later. So, I mean, I don't know if we ever get any more backstory other than that. Moving forward, I don't know if he was abusive. I don't know if he was emotionally abusive, physically abusive. Knowing the actress that Kim Dickens is, if and when we get her on here, she can answer it for us because she definitely has a backstory. Yeah, I'd love to know more about it, but this is a really intense scene, beautifully acted by both of them. They're perfect together. Kim yeah. Kim Dickens and Zach Guilford have the same kind of understated, underplayed calmness, but there's so much tension there. Oh God, they're so good together. Yeah. It's like the polar opposite of you and I. It's exactly the pole. I don't, I don't underplay a thing. As I said before on this podcast, I had a professor when I was in college who was like, you know, it doesn't always take a bazooka to kill a fly. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, but I got to make sure it's dead. Yeah, but look at my face. I wouldn't call it overplaying. It's just, we're just different people, we're different actors. We're enthusiastic. I'm enthusiastic. About everything. About everything. Okay. There's my buddy. That's John Venable playing Mitch there very quickly at um, A&M. Yeah. And my heart throughout this whole entire scene was just pounding because Smash's whole, everything's on the line here. And I'm just sitting there praying Friday Night Lights. Can we get a win? Can somebody get a win on this show? 
It would be nice. And it looks like he did. I mean, Smash had an amazing tryout with Texas A&M. Now it's the waiting game, like a lot of actors have to deal with. In this scene, I did have the question about if Kyle had a say in those iconic sunglasses. Like, did they bring him a tray? And he was like, yeah, this is coach. Because literally those sunglasses would not look good on anybody except Coach Taylor. I don't even think they would look good on Kyle Chandler, but they're perfect for Coach Taylor. This is what you were thinking about in the smash tryout scene with a Yes. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> because Coach Taylor said I would look him in the eye. And I'm like, but you have mirrored oh, sunglasses oh, oh. on. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And then I went in a rabbit hole about the sunglasses. I know this much. The only times I've ever worn sunglasses in my life on a show, if it's happened a couple of times, but every time that I've done it, they've brought out a tray. Literally. Yeah, like, you do it with <laughs> wedding rings too. Like you yes. get to choose from a tray of what yours yeah, or is. Or watches. Like I chose yeah. Billy's watch on Friday Night Lights. It's not like they brought out 40 watches, but they brought out like 10 watches and they were like, you think he'd wear a <laughs> watch? And I'm choose. like, yeah. And I don't know why I thought Billy would wear a watch. Billy always had a watch. He doesn't care about time. He doesn't care. He's a, he's a stickler for time. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, that Billy. If anything, he's punctual. <laughs> yes. You say what you want about Billy Riggins, but he is punctual. <laughs> I just think about, because we've seen a few groups of people who for Halloween, they came as like a group of Friday Night Lights people. There were even yeah. some dressed like Derek and I, and there's always a coach and it's those sunglasses with yeah. the like neck hanging thing and like a baseball hat or visor that makes it, oh, you're a coach. I get it. I have a friend of mine named Kyle Ward, who Stacy knows as well. Kyle is yeah. a writer. Kyle wrote the movie Machete Kills. And so one year Kyle came dressed up on Halloween as Coach Taylor. Maybe not the next year, but a couple of years later, I dressed up as Machete from mm-hmm. Machete Kills. That was good. You guys listen really fast. When Derek does a costume, he goes full in. My favorite was when you did Big Lebowski. Oh, that was good years ago. It was yeah. so good. You don't mess around. It's so no, good. if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it all the way. Or usually I just don't wear anything. Yeah, or that. But there's no yeah. middle ground. There's no middle ground. I did want to say good on Tammy because when she's given this speech about the Jumbotron, she's basically conceding here. She's like, all right, you're going to get your Jumbotron. She loses oh, the Jumbotron battle. She got that battle. smile though and nobody in that place would know because she has that Tammy smile on. Yeah, yeah. And nobody knows that she lost. She's playing it like she's excited that this Jumbotron is happening. And then she gets a quick jab in on Buddy in the end when she says, that Buddy was kind enough to host the PTA silent auction to raise funds at Garrity Motors this year. And so Buddy gives her a quick little grin, like, well played, touche. So yeah, she's at least going to get something out of this deal. She lost the the war, but she's going to get some concession here. Compromise, an American tradition that has long since been thrown away and tossed out the window. Remember when people used to compromise, Stacey? Anyway. My God, you sound like such an old man. Back when I had lovers, we used to compromise. Oh, nope. <laughs> oh, I need you to put on a cowboy hat right now. For some reason, I don't know if I was there that day or if Annie made me watch it later. I have seen this scene of when Smash comes to Coach's door mm-hmm. and tells him. You were there that day. That was Smash's last day on the show. And we all went to set to say goodbye to him. That's why. And I remember crying while it was happening. And I cried yesterday when I watched it. Yeah. That scene. Oh. It's a beautiful scene. So guys, this is the last episode that Gaius Charles Smash Williams will ever be in. It's the last episode with Liz Michael. No. Yeah, two fantastic <laughs> actors. And yeah, Stacey, the whole cast came out on Gaius's final scene. I remember That's we right. were at I remember Coach's now. house. I was like, how, how do I know these words? But I was there. Yeah, as you said, I was crying watching it the second time. And you can see on Kyle's face, Kyle's trying not to. Kyle's emotional like me. Some of that is we're not going to see Gaius again. But some of that is, as he is, a molder of men. 
he's going to go do this great thing. And so much of it's because of coach. It's a weird thing that happens on this show. And it happens a lot of different times where the truth of a moment like this is happening while something very truthful is also happening as the character. Coach is saying goodbye to Smash, this kid that he's worked with and pushed. And Kyle is saying goodbye to guys. It's going to make me cry right now. It's art imitating life. There's a lot of those moments that will continue to happen on this show. I'll try to point them out when they do. Gaius just crushed it as Smash. He's such an iconic character. And the writers really outdid themselves, in my opinion, on Smash's storyline this final season. I thought Michael Waxman did a wonderful job capturing his final moments in this episode. Gaius' huge smile at the end. Oh, God, I love him so much. And as I said before, unfortunately, it won't be the last time we have to say goodbye to some of our favorite characters on this show. But it's also the thing that made FNL special is the fact that they're not going to all end up at Dillon Community College and then go to Dillon College and everyone's going to move to Dillon College and coach is going to end up at Dillon College and then they're all going to wind up coaching at Dillon. Like it's no people graduate. Listen, the only two people who stay in Dillon are you and me. Yeah, people move on with their lives. People go different places. And it's a reality of life. And it's what makes Friday Night Lights, I think, it's the reason it's to the test of time. But it is, man. It's hard to say goodbye to Gaius in this. It's so hard. The only solace I have is that I know that you and I are going to see Gaius in August. And Liz Michael will be in New York soon. And I will have her. So I'm not yeah. as sad, but I'm pretty sad. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for tuning in for another one. I think that is it for episode four of season three. But please join us next time for season three, episode five, titled Every Rose Has Its Thorn. Until then, clear eyes. Full hearts. Can't can't lose. Clear Eyes, Full Hearts is a podcast presentation of Cadence 13 in association with Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. Executive producers are Stacey Oristano and Derek Phillips, Chris and Mandy Wimmer for Black Barrel Media, and Steve Walters for Ritual Productions. Our producer is Miranda Parham. Send your questions to clearEyesFullHeartsPod at gmail.com. Find us on social media. I'm Stacey Oristano on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm at Derek Phillips on Twitter and underscore Derek Phillips on Instagram. And check out our websites, clearEyesFullHeartsPod.com, cadence13.com, and blackbarrelmedia.com. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next week.